Welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship. What Here we go. What day is it? Today? Yeah. Or release of the episode day? Mm. They're usually close. We <laughs> are recording on Wednesday, October 20... I don't know. <laughs> it's the 25th, maybe? 25th? 26th. One of those. I should probably look at a phone. A few there. moons out from Halloween... It's the 26th, October 26th. Release date will be the morning of the 27th, Mm, Thursday. Lord willing. Worst intro ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just asking. You've had a birthday since the last time we recorded? Since the last time we recorded, yes. We did record a couple episodes in advance. So, uh, yeah. How old are uh, you? I'm uh, 42. 42 years old. Yeah, man. Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson. How does 42 feel? Brittle. (laughs) (laughs) Brittle brittle in body or spirit? (laughs) No, mostly body. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I would say uh, more more flexible in spirit, maybe. Brittle in body. (laughs) Is that... You're nodding at me. (laughs) I mean, I wanted an explanation. You just told everybody you feel brittle. That's early for 42. You got osteoporosis already or oh, something? Oh, I felt, I've, I've felt brittle for a long time. People who know me know that. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, like, how does it feel? I don't know. Like, you can't, you can't eat anything. You can't do anything without hurting. And mm-hmm. How old are you, 27? Yeah. Yeah, it's coming. Enjoy, just enjoy your, enjoy the days of your youth, my friend. Yes. I enjoyed your birthday. You know why? Good. Uh, oh, no, I don't. Wait. Uh, a certain friend oh, of ours. Oh, <laughs> wow, wait, I do think I know. Uh, I do a certain think friend of ours, Andrew Hickson. Andrew. Oh, just wow. Gave, I knew this was going to come up. Gave me like, a over gold the last mine. Week, week and a half. Gave me Dang a gold go. mine that you took from me. Yeah, I closed the shaft on the, on the gold so mine. So we're sitting around James' house. Oh, boy. And, uh, that birthday. was nice segue, by the way. You said it. You like you teed yourself up I, a little bit. Yeah, and you've been, uh, you've been like, how often do you? I want you to know, we never plan our intro conversations. Not well, at all. I don't think you ever plan anything on this. Podcast. Wow, wow, shots fired. So <laughs> we never plan an intro conversation. I think you've got notes. It looks like over there on an intro conversation. Is that no. possible? No, no. But no, you plan me. this. Oh, I've, been, I've I cataloged that. Yeah, a while back. All right, go ahead and. So we're sit, so we're sitting around your house, yeah. And uh, Andrew Hickson happens to mention that you at one point had well, a can, Twitter account. Can I honor? Can I honor you? And we're sitting around the house. You brought me a gift. Andrew and I were watching football. Uh-huh. It was the uh, Chiefs Bills game, uh, like a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andrew, my birthday was like the next day, and Andrew came over to watch the game, and uh, you came over to bring me a gift, mm-hmm. and you you had made for me a. Uh, a beautiful, what kind of wood? Mahogany? Yeah. Cutting board. Uh-huh. Big old cutting board. I didn't make it. I had it. You made. had it made. Yes. Yeah. With a little, with Raoul's barbecue kind of mm-hmm. uh, carved or bo- embossed or something into the corner of mm-hmm. it. And and it's got the, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's super beautiful. And it's like, so I can put big old mm-hmm. chunks of brisket on there and cut it up. Yes. And so you can make love me it. many a meal. That was a great gift. Yes. What you're about to do is a terrible gift. Well, you didn't let me enjoy 
my gift. Like, you get to enjoy you yours. for a few minutes. For a few minutes. Yeah. So Andrew mentions that James at one point had a Twitter account uh, that uh, he had... I, I, it was, when, he, when Andrew was talking about it, I was like, you had almost forgotten that this was still on the internet. Oh, I haven't even I haven't thought about it in many years. So I immediately rushed to my phone <laughs> <laughs> to find this and look through what James Rowell, eight years ago, because it wasn't active since 2014, <laughs> thought was worth putting out into the world. Yeah. And there were some gold mines yeah. on there. A lot of pictures of your kids um, yep. from a long time ago. Um, but then, you know, some spiritual quotes, and then a bunch of rants about the Hawks, and then quotes from, like, the Goldbergs. <laughs> Weird <laughs> TV shows. Like, yeah. And uh, I'm just enjoying I it. I mean, this is kind of my life, right? Like... But you did okay. I got I get like fifteen minutes of just scrolling through this, pulling out fun yeah. stuff to look at and laugh at, and I see James grab his computer quickly, and he he looks like he's Cody. He's trying to figure. Yeah. I mean, he's just going ham on his little keyboard, just determined to figure I'm out how Cody, to delete this great. how to delete this account, and he disabled it. He he uh he took the account down, so I could not enjoy was, it anymore. I was pretty efficient with it. He's embarrassed of who he was ten years ago on the um, internet. Yeah, I don't. Well, I know. I, it's not even. I don't really know whether to be. He just didn't want right? to. He didn't want to give me the satisfaction. I did not want to. De- well, here's what I knew. In the same way that right now you're bringing this up, I knew. Like this is ex- this is the moment I foresaw. <laughs> in that moment, was in my mind. I projected out into mm-hmm. the future. The next, the very next time, you were going to start. A, you were going to direct people on weekday worship to this Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. So and then B, you were going to give it. them a sampling of what, in your mind, were the uh, most ridiculous you know, I was quotes. literally thinking the other day, I was kicking myself because I didn't screenshot ones that I thought were funny. Um, yeah. And so what I knew was this was going to open Pandora's box into a never-ending stream of me being mocked by you and then... All of your cronies who you rile up, and but, so I just didn't want to deal with but it. But the funny, and thing I didn't is, know it was there. I, but I don't, the funny I don't thing is, ten years ago, you thought this was worth everyone seeing, and now ten years later, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want people seeing this. It's like, it's like, realize you look at pictures of yourself like ten years ago, and you're like, what was I wearing? But at the time, it felt uh, this is a, like I look great in this, you know. But then ten years later, you look back and like, oh, that looked terrible. Well, that's not really. So I, I think that's a fairly skewed, like, like the idea that like I thought this looked great. I, that's not really what Twitter is. You don't you don't think real deeply about what you are putting out. Like, you know, like when you put out like a quote from a show you just watched or a mm-hmm. moment with your kids or whatever. You're not thinking I look awesome here. You're just. But you're just thinking kind it's worth you're... putting out. You it's yeah. worth putting out the world to yeah, the world. Sure. Yeah. So I think people should help me. Talk James into re, uh, rebooting the account. Um, I'll tell you what will get me into a space of mere consideration of such a uh-huh. thing. You still haven't done the weekday worship bark. Well. So, we all have our things. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why would I do this? Because everyone wants their pastor on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. That always uh, turns out well. You know, well, th- so the funny thing is, like, you said I was embarrassed. And it's like, I'm not, I don't know anything that I posted back then to be embarrassed about. What I didn't want was to find something to be embarrassed about. So in the anticipation that I wow. might be embarrassed, that, so I have no knowledge of anything, like, whatever. But 
I knew you, you and your you wicked didn't give heart. Me Twenty minutes. To I enjoy knew it. your wicked little heart was gonna want to weaponize this thing against me. Why and could I just you know I didn't want to lead you down that road. I didn't want to lead our people down that road. And there might have been a slight selfishness of I too did not want to be. It wouldn't be laughing at you. It would be laughing with you. No, we'd have it a would good not. laugh. It would not. <laughs> we'd have a great laugh over some of those tweets. I was blown away because things are generally hard to get rid of on the internet. Mm-hmm. I was blown away that a couple clicks and like all of a sudden you're scrolling through your phone and you go, "Oh come on!" Yeah, it literally <laughs> bl- like logged me out of, his, of looking at looking at his account. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> sure. So I gave James a nice gift. A nice gift. I found this great gift of his to the world, which was his yeah. Twitter account, and he yeah. took it away from me. Um, I do not regret this decision. Actually, I feel the fact that you've brought it up in the manner you have convinces me I made the absolute right choice. Mm. You know, sometimes you make an impulsive decision, and you kind of wish you'd have played that differently. My, if I have any regret here, it's that I didn't get to it quicker. Mm-hmm. Well, I, if I could, if I could have withheld every ounce of satisfaction you got out of this, I would have done it. What a friend! <laughs> what a friend! <laughs> but that's well. That, I guess that was a couple of weeks ago now. Well, that was yeah. It was uh, yeah about ten days ago. Oh, you know what? Did you know that Al Mohler was in town last night? Uh, actually, yeah, he and I were, um, at Cultivation last night. Um, no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were not. No, you were not. We were not. Let me be clear about that. Al Mohler would be, could be fired from his job. Al Mohler and I were not hanging out at all last night. Well, you couldn't get fired just for being there, could he? Breaking his own code of conduct? Would being at a brewery break a code of conduct? Or I, I would think it would be partaking of... Uh, yeah, we'll ask him. The unique beverages we'll send, we'll served send, at a we'll brewery. We'll send him this question. But he was at Christ's Covenant last night. <laughs> ask anything. This next Ask Anything episode. Yeah, next <laughs> ask, if, you, if you had a beer, would it break your own code of conduct? Would you yeah. be fired? That's what we ask. Would him. you fire yourself? Would you? Yeah, would you fire yourself? Um, he was in town at Christ's Covenant Church down the road. Um, <laughs> Just And down the road. my sister, uh, who goes there to Christ's Covenant, Shout out well, was going so she could ask a question. Oh, and she was. So she she was, wasn't going just to listen. She had a. No, question. she wanted a question. So she had. What a, was the she event? had a like? Was he speaking or? Well, just they were having a conference, but then he did one of his ask anything events at their church. Oh wow! And um, uh, so my sister had a, like a list of questions she didn't know which one to ask. And hold on, did she vet her list with you, and you got to select? We the talked question? about him. I didn't select for her, but she asked. You know, but my mom was dying to have a question that she wanted my sister to ask him. She probably wanted an R.C. Sproul story. Listen to this question. She wanted my sister to ask Al Mohler, what does the umen and the thumen mean in the breastplate of the high priest in terms of casting lots? That's a, I feel like that. Luckily, my sister did not ask that Yeah, what did she ask? Huh? Did she get a question? Oh, she did get a question. And what was her question? It was on uh, Genesis 1 and uh, thinking through uh, ways to interpret Genesis 1. Okay. So so she so she, she did not do the, the niche umen and thumen question. <laughs> uh, which is, thank God, because that's <laughs> yeah. our episode today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is all on the umen and the thumen. <laughs> People are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, I've actually had to preach on the Uman and Thuman at some level. Wow. Because we went through, you know, Exodus a number of years ago. So, Would you delete that like you deleted your Twitter? 
You'd stand by it? Yeah. Okay. We'll do a review later. Okay. <laughs> um, so let me direct you, <laughs> Mrs. Hawkins, to the uh, series on Exodus on our app. Um, and I couldn't remember. I mean, you yeah. know the you know the chapter, and it would be listed Uman? on the... What's Uman? What's the name of the sermon? <laughs> Uma Thurman. I was going to say, this is not Pulp Fiction. Uh, like, yeah, okay. Um, or Kill Bill. Um, uh, you didn't give us an answer to the question. You just told us the question. Uh, my sister asked? Yeah. I don't know. We'll look at it later. We got to get... We're, we're, we're being... Okay. I'm being... I'm... Not being efficient today, I think. You are uh, taking us down all kinds all of rabbit holes. Rabbit I'm trying, people. I'm trying to keep us on the rails. It's hard with this guy. Yeah, he's, he's got of, he's got an alliterated outline over he's there. He's out. He's out of control <laughs> over here. Okay, where are we at, James? We are at. What are we doing on this podcast? Um, well, we did a deep dive on Melchizedek the last time around. Yes. We are now moving from Genesis 14 into Genesis 15. Yes, talking about the life of Abraham trying to uh, connect it to the larger story of the Bible and um, the significance of Abraham for uh, the we're, story we're, of the gospel. Yeah, we're sort of doing this as a pretext for the series that we're preaching through on the life of Jacob on Sunday mornings, and so we're kind of doing a little bit of backfilling on the podcast uh, during this stretch um, to kind of flesh out a little bit of the backstory in mm-hmm. Genesis. Yeah, so we're stopping along the way at significant points, which... The story of Abraham has like these little sections or little even verses that get kind of stretched out and and uh, talked about and made very significant um, later on in the Bible. And yeah. made, there's like so many of them um, because of the importance of, of Abraham is kind of a pivot moment in the story of the gospel. So uh, we're just trying to sit down and connect those things so that you have that larger schema of understanding how this fits into the whole picture. Um and so we're in Genesis 15. You've got him finishing up. He's been blessed by Melchizedek. They've won the battle. He's uh, returned. He's uh, uh, from that battle. And uh, we get this kind of next moment in the story uh, starting in chapter 15. James, will, we read, will you read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 15 of Genesis? Genesis 15, chapter 1 through 3. Not chapter. Genesis 15, verse 1 through 3. <laughs> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Okay, so it's kind of this kind of movement to a new section of the story where we don't really know why God says, Abram, don't be afraid. It, obviously, Abram was, uh, he was having some sort of crisis, um, and God moves in. And this well, is like where I you mean, get a beginning of... Contextually, that. I mean, he just kind of, I mean, he just went to war, Yeah, but he, yeah, so he comes back from the war, he's got, that's kind of, this, that episode is over, and now you move in this new episode, and it's like, uh, there's some sort of crisis going on internally for Abram, Abram in this passage that we're about to see. Yeah, I just I, the language of God saying that I'm I'm your shield. I don't know if that's connected at well, all. Well, that's to exactly being his what Melchizedek and, said. Remember, right, Ma- so. Melchizedek talked about that same thing. Yeah. Um, so it's a yeah. So you move on here to uh, to this kind of internal crisis, and you've got this formulation of the word of the Lord came, and this becomes a a really a formula for when God speaks throughout the rest of Scripture. 
the word of the Lord came to such and such. The word of the Lord came. It's like that 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 should be like a formula you see in Scripture of okay, this is when God is about to speak and say something really important. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Mm, I was. I don't. I don't want to take you in other directions than you're prepared to go. But okay. And um, uh, he's so he's wanting to assure, reassure Abraham about his promise. Remember the promise in Genesis 12 that he would make him a great nation. He, so he'd give him a land and he'd give him seed, and kings would come from that seed. Um, so you've got these two promises going on, and Abraham really ha- like they haven't been fulfilled um, at this point. And so God wants to reassure Abram that, uh, that that's going to happen. And uh, talking about his reward being very great, but Abram brings up a very good objection, which is, I, I don't have a son. Like, how can, how can this happen if I don't yeah. have a son? Like, someone else who's not my son is going to have to inherit what I have because I don't have a son. So therefore, the land might, won't be in my family, and uh, uh, no one in my family, family will have it. Yeah, so when he refers to someone in my house, Eliezer, Eliezer, uh, a member of my household, he's speaking, I presume, of a servant or uh, somebody yeah. that lives within their, yeah, uh, whatever their encampment, mm-hmm. which is larger than the immediate biological family. Yes, and so we we've seen before all this that that Abram has been made very wealthy, yes. and very prosperous. So he's acquired. Mm-hmm. A great mm-hmm. deal of things, and within that has soldiers and has uh, or a, a security team, let's say, and he's got servants and uh, essentially employees and, and and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. so somebody from within that scope is this guy, Eliezer. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion on who it is, but yeah. we know that it's somebody who's not his son, right? Because he didn't have one, right? And so, and what's important to point out is, so at the beginning of chapter twelve, when you get introduced to Abram, uh, he's seventy-five years old, and this. In Genesis 15, there's been many years that have gone by since mm-hmm. then. And so this is a guy who's, you know, way past any ability um, uh, in the natural to actually fulfill uh, the idea of having a son or, right. or having seed. And so Abram is having a real kind of crisis of, I, I see this, I see what you're telling me, but I, I don't see how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, we've been emphasizing throughout the story of Abram that the, the problem or the battle of the Christian life is belief. Mm-hmm. And I, this is a really, it's, it's small in the text, but it illuminates a lot, which is that um, this passage is about a- a- Abram's struggle with believing God's promise. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't want you to see that as negative in a sense, because someone, unbelief doesn't struggle with God's promises. Mm. Unbelief doesn't struggle with God's promises. Belief, faith struggles with, okay, God, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I, I see what you're saying, and I, and I, and I, I trust you, but I, I don't know how this is all going to work. There's, yeah. a, there's a really important principle that unbelief doesn't care about those problems. Right. Yeah, and, and faith sits in the tension of going, I know this to be true or what you've said, and yet I'm experiencing this or seeing this, and it, it and it's wrestling with the incongruence of of what God says is true or what mm-hmm. God declares, and then versus what is manifesting yeah. in our present reality. Yeah. So there's something really I think insightful for many of us, which is if you feel the struggle of faith, I think that's a sign of faith. It's an evidence, yeah, an evidence of 
that some measure of faith, like rejection of God is different than doubt in God. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I think, what, mm-hmm. what we're talking about here, that, that the presence of faith will not be without mm-hmm. challenge or uh, uh, conflicting <laughs> uh, sort of emotions and, and all that stuff. And so, and part of how we go deeper in our faith is to allow that struggle of faith to work itself out, to, yes. be, to be honest about that, to be real about that, mm-hmm. to engage, to press into it. Um, and so, like, there is this struggle for deeper faith that is anchored in what you're saying, a struggle from faith. Yes. Right? The fact that Abram is engaged with God over this issue mm-hmm. is itself an act of faith. Yes, it is, 100%. And, and it's going to take his faith deeper. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times we think that struggle or wrestling over faith is a sign of moving backwards, um, when a lot of times it's actually an opportunity to move forwards. Right. Um, which is so different than someone who doesn't believe at all and therefore doesn't... These promises don't mean anything. There's nothing to debate because they've already thrown it out. Yeah, like when I always... When when talking about conflict with people in an interpersonal level or relational level, most people, if you ask... The, if you think about the question, like what do you, what comes into your mind, what words or images or or experiences come into your mind when you think about conflict? And, and if you pause and do that for a moment, almost... Almost exclusively what comes to people's minds are negative images and negative mm-hmm. memories and, yeah. and emotions. Like people think of conflict as this terrible thing to be avoided. And yet I will often ask a follow-up to that, uh, something to the effect of, okay, name a time in your life you changed or grew or matured or took a step forward or, you know, in some way were transformed positively that did not relate to or come out of a conflict. Yeah. And, and you can't do it because conflict isn't just negative. Conflict is a, the, the, the opportunity or the catalyst for change and transformation and growth in our lives. So whether that be an internal conflict of, of feeling like, man, I don't like who I am right now, or even the conviction of the spirit is God creating a conflict internally to us that would help change us and mature us. And, and I think, I think that's part of what the, like, this whole idea of the struggle for faith is that we have to embrace the conflict of, of seen realities or visible realities in the unseen promises or, or truths of God mm-hmm. and, and engage with those things. And it is, it can be, in fact, I think apart from engaging with that, your faith remains very cheap and frail mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of paper thin. Yeah. Right. And so the way that that grows and becomes a more resilient kind of faith. Um, you know, I was joking about being brittle and flexible. Well, what we, what we want is we want the, a faith that can bend without breaking in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, the, and it grows in its strength that way, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that's kind of where Abraham's yeah. at. Yes. And as we're going to see in the rest of this text, God gives his people means, pictures, signs, uh, words that assist in giving us more yeah. faith. Yeah. Um, God just doesn't say, oh, oh, well. He actually condescends even more to us to give us signs that help us see faith yeah. better.
Yeah. Okay, so we move on to verses four through six, probably some of the one of the most important verses in all of the Old Testament that we're about to find. James, we read verse four through six. And, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him: This man shall not be your heir; your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, so you've got God basically giving him a, a sign here, a picture, <coughs> to assure him, hey, this is what it's going to look like. I yep. know you think this isn't true. I know you think that this is uh, something that's kind of up in the air. How can this happen? But I just want, I just want to give you a big picture view, mm-hmm. kind of what the end is going to be for this. Can, and... I, I wasn't going to say it on the first one, but he does it again here, and there's something attached to this that I think is kind of a, an interesting thing that I just want to get your take on. Sure. I think we've ta- we may have talked about this before the last time I read through Genesis, because I was telling you I was like seeing these things, and I was like, oh! So when, when it says the word of the Lord came to Abram, mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what that form takes, right? But what I find interesting here is he says it first in verse 1. He says it again in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him. Uh and then it says, and he, verse 5, brought him outside and said. So the word of the Lord comes to him, visits him. And I think in certain ways, maybe the way that I always thought of this as a kid was sort of like Mufasa speaking to Simba and the Lion mm-hmm, King. Mm-hmm. of like It's just this voice, mm-hmm. right? God comes and visits. But then it says, he took him outside and showed him all the stars. Mm-hmm. And now when I read this, I start to look at it and I have a hard time not seeing this as the second person of the Trinity visiting in some manifest form Abram wherever he is in this Genesis 15 moment mm-hmm. and coming to him like should I read it that way should we read it that way should we read it some other way or is it like maybe like where do you land on that this is a very difficult question <laughs> for the record John Gill who I will do my PhD research on for the mm-hmm. next four years agrees with you okay He's literally in his commentary on this passage, he said, yeah, this is Jesus. That's how Um, I would read this and see it. I'm not comfortable with using the term Jesus. I think that is his incarnate name. Okay. Um, I think when you look at Hebrews 1 and you get this, so you've got two things going on where a lot of people want to take a, uh, what I think is a good practice, which is, okay, if there's a, uh, kind of a, a formula on understanding from the New Testament, how we look back on the old. You've mm-hmm. got you've got this idea of no one has ever seen God, right? Um, but through the Son, that's He's, how God's you, made Him known. Yes, he made Himself um, known. And then, but you've got this also uh, idea in Hebrews one, which is contrasting, you know, God's spoken to us in many ways through many different means, um, but now He's spoken us. To his son, so th- so there's there's a there's a continuity there of you know th- throughout the Bible you you see through Jesus or through the uh, through uh, the son mm-hmm. right, but there's also this contrast of uh, there is a difference mm-hmm. between the New Testament revelation of uh, of seeing uh, Christ and uh, seeing him in the old yeah in his human. Incarnated manifestation, like physical form, embodied mm-hmm. the way he is. You're saying there's a distinction between 
the person of Jesus walking on this earth is the incarnation, God born of the flesh. There's a difference between There's that. There's a new revelation and, of Jesus in the New Testament. Yeah, and how he's manifest here. But in some sense, I mean, if we think to John 1, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among uh-huh. us. The word of God in Genesis 15 came to Abram. Uh-huh. Is I? It's hard for me to see that when you have then the pronoun he attached to this, like that he took him outside. Mm-hmm. It it. I don't know how we read that any other way than that God the Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity, was the one speaking with, manifest in some form to... I think Jesus is a mouthpiece of God. And bringing him out I think Jesus is a mouth, the, mouthpiece of God. Um, so I, I think it, there's a sense, yes. Um, this is a very difficult question. Ask me in four years. We'll yeah, there's... I mean, there's mystery embedded here. Yes, I'm not solving the, the mystery here, yeah. I don't think. But, but I don't think we're out of turn to speak of this as the son of God and in some form is coming to and directing or re uh, reconstituting this promise to, to, Mm -hmm. to Abraham Mm -hmm. and giving him this, you know, this looking up into the sky sky or the stars and everything and, and, and all that. But I just, it, what we learn from the, and I think we're going to go deeper into this. We are learning, we have to learn from our new Testament and from the person of Jesus himself, mm-hmm. as well as from the apostolic witness in the scriptures, we are learning how to read our Old Testament properly, right? Yes. And so I think when we think about the word of God becoming flesh and some of the other things that we might touch on here in the passage that we read back into this, that 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 this isn't just an auditory sort of or audible voice speaking to, but there's some physical manifestation here of the eternal son of God that's, that's encountering Abram and, and leading him. That would be, what we're, what we're not saying is Jesus was in a body here with, with Abram. Yeah. I'm not making, I don't know that. Yeah. I can't We're not making an incarnational claim. No, no. Um, But we're saying a pre-incarnate appearance. I think, I think at the very least we can say, because we, because we understand throughout all of scripture that our God is triune mm -hmm. and that, uh, and eternally so. Yes. And that the Father is known through the Son by the Spirit. Yeah. That the inseparable triune God should be accounted for when you see him speak in scriptures instead of kind of parting him up into, oh, the Old Testament was the Father, New Testament was the Son. Right. Later on you get the Spirit. Like, that's, we should be thinking in Trinitarian terms. Yes. Um, and particularly how God operates in the world at, like, like I said, as the New Testament shows us, we know the Father through the Son by yeah. the Spirit. So yeah. I think at the very least we can say that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've so we've got this as James said, uh, God Himself. By the way, like that's like when we read some of that stuff, it's like it's, to me yes. it's just like yeah. like mind blowing yes, for sure. Um, you've got Him taking Him out to give Him this kind of big range picture of. Don't worry, Abram. Like this is what you can't even count this. Yeah. It's right. not even going to be one meager offspring. Mm-hmm. It's going to be as numerous as the stars. Yes, and the it will be your heir. Um, and so he gives them, he gives him this picture. He proclaims to them this, this truth. And what does verse six say? Will you read it again? And he believed the Lord, and he, that is God, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Yes. Okay. Honestly, I think the most important verse about salvation in the Old Testament. We need to do some some work here because this passage becomes 
one of the main battlegrounds in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, between Paul and the Judaizers. Mm -hmm. Those who are kind of opposing Paul and what does it mean for the Gentiles to be saved and therefore what does it mean for all to be saved? What is the path to salvation Mm -hmm. and who's included in that? This is like, this little passage becomes the battleground for like huge, huge uh, gospel issues for the Apostle Paul. And they're important to point out and and I think a lot of times we're used to reading them um, like kind of passing over them in the midst of Paul's bigger arguments um, in Galatians and Romans, but seeing them as we interact with this text, I think is is really important to tie them together, and it helps us uh, make sense of uh, how we look at salvation as a whole throughout the Bible. So let, let's just start in Galatians three. We're going to do both Galatians three and Romans four. This is where this, Paul quotes these passages um, to give us a a sense of what how we should understand them according to Paul, because there's other people that Paul is opposing who wanted to understand these verses very differently. Right. Um, so we're, we're in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Paul is working on his argument on by faith or by works of law, what's the way to uh, have union or, or be right with God. And uh, he brings up in verse 6, he says, Just as Abraham, quote, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay. That is what Paul just did there in that verse. He just poked a huge, huge hornet's nest in those he's opposing. Mm-hmm. So in Galatians, to set it up here, you've got even Peter was falling into these traps of those who said, uh, yeah, the Gentiles can somehow be included, um, but there still needs to be separation between us. And uh, though we we understand that yeah, you've got to have grace, and you can't be justified by the law. The Gentiles, they need to follow the law, because they're not really sons of Abraham. We kind of have this special status. They need to kind of jump in on this status, because they're not sons of Abraham, in order to to fall into uh, the bigger picture of uh, uh, clinging on to the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And um, one of their big arguments for that is that they understand this passage that we're looking at in Genesis 15 and through 17, uh, kind of the covenant passage with Abraham. Um, They thought in order to share in the blessings promised in God's covenant with Abraham, it was necessary to become a child of Abraham, which to them meant circumcision and observance of the law. Mm-hmm. So they said, in order in order to join in with Abraham and what he has done for uh, what he's given us through uh, through his seed to Christ, you need to come back through Abraham through the process of circumcision mm-hmm. and observance of the law to become like one of us. There, there is a sense in which the, the Gentile, according to the Judaizers, Gentiles needed to become culturally Jewish in order to become legitimately Christian. Yes. It was, it's, it's racist is what it is. Yeah. It's absolutely racist. It's racist, and it's a double standard of 
basically legalism for the Gentiles in order for them to come in and for them to know that they can't keep the law, but they get grace. So you've got these multiple kind of threads going through here. And like I said, the Judaizers wanted to say, in order to gain the, the faith of Abraham, you have to come through the obedience of circumcision and the uh, observance of the law. What Paul wants to argue here is to reverse it. He wants to reverse it, and he thinks the text in Genesis makes this clear. He wants to say, no, you actually come into Abraham through faith, and the, the, the observance of circumcision and the law are secondary or later additions, whereas uh, just like Abraham came to Christ through faith, you come to Christ through faith, therefore everyone comes to Christ through faith. Mm-hmm. He, want, he thinks they're reading Genesis 17 through 15 backwards. He says, "Turn it, God, you're not reading it chronologically. Right. <laughs> you're missing how you actually enter in here, right. which is not through circumcision or the law. It's actually through faith. Yeah, and that's not a new, that's not only true in the new covenant. Yes. Right? Yes. That was true of the old, in the old covenant, in a sense. Yes. And so in the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic in, in, covenant, in the Abrahamic yes. covenant for the, the promise of the seed, right? Because you've got this idea here in Genesis 15. That this is all God's doing, as we're going to see throughout the rest of Genesis 15. Uh, there's been no obligations on Abraham up to this point. It's been, uh, I'm going to do this for you, and believe it, basically. Right. And so, um, you've got this idea here of, he wants to show you that the same way that the Gentiles have come to faith, mm-hmm. which... Uh, in Galatians, when Paul showed up, he said, believe on Christ, the Lord Jesus. He's come for all, for all people. Uh, believe on his person and work and his faithfulness and be saved through faith. Right. He wants to say, that's exactly how Abraham was saved. That is exactly how Abraham was saved. Right. He wants to point to the father of the Jews and say he was saved just like a Gentile, mm-hmm. which is absolutely bonkers right. to these Judaizers. And not only that, he then says, and it's those who are of faith who are the yes. offspring of Abraham, yes. which God himself said he would give to him. Yes. Which is saying that if you don't have faith, though you might be Jewish ethnically, mm-hmm. you are not offspring of Abraham. Yes. And the, in and, the sense that God... In, and the sonship of Abraham is through faith in Christ. Right. Okay. And, and there's this just really provocative verse that Paul throws, that Paul uh, writes here in... Genesis, I mean, Galatians 3, 8, he says, In the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Okay, so listen to what Paul says there. The purpose of God writing this verse, and he's going to show this clearly in Romans 4. The purpose of God, one of the purposes of God uh, having this story recorded is so that thousands of years later, the Gentiles would know this is how you enter in by faith. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And he says, because the, through the promise of Abraham, mm-hmm. the gospel was preached. Right. So, you, you, James, you, you, go ahead. I was just going to say, the, it, the, interestingly, we have the reference to Genesis 15 in verse 6, where he mm-hmm. says, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, the reference to, um, the, the reference where it says that God preached the gospel to Abraham, saying that in you shall all nations be blessed, that's not Genesis 15. Mm-hmm. That's Genesis 12. Yes. Okay, so we have these two separate occasions yes. where God visits Abraham mm-hmm. to first establish his covenant with Abraham, yeah. his promise, second to reaffirm that covenant when Abraham didn't think that it was coming to fruition. Yeah. And and there's a little bit different, you know, there's different phrasing in each one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the idea that Paul is talking about in Galatians 3 is saying that when God said that when he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, that all nations on the earth would be blessed through him, he was saying that the salvation wasn't just coming to the people uh, that ethnically would belong to or come from the line of Abraham, mm-hmm. but it would belong to all nations. Yes. Right. And, and what he's also saying is within that uh, promise to Abraham about the seed and about the land, the gospel was foreseen in that. And so through Abraham believing that promise, mm-hmm. it was believing in the gospel of Christ. Right. The gospel from the beginning, which was like, we have this reference to the gospel itself was preached to, to Abraham in Genesis 12. The gospel has always been the good news of life with God that yes. is made possible for guilty sinners through repentance and faith. Yes. The same gospel. The, the gospel is... in. So you've got the, the promise of Genesis 3.15 and the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Mm-hmm. Both have the gospel message within them, and both are the way in which people were saved, right. Old and New Testament. Right. So the, 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 there's three words there that are translated, the gospel preached beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just one word in Greek. And you, you, you like to talk about how in Genesis 3.15 we call that the proto-euangelion. Mm-hmm. Well, the word here for that's translated gospel be- preached beforehand is literally pro-euangelizo. Mm-hmm. So it's literally... Proto-Evangelion. Okay. That literally is what it says. Yeah. The, the, the promise of the gospel, the gospel was preached beforehand through this promise, hmm. basically. So uh, that idea, like the word is in Scripture, that idea of you've got this uh, provision of seeing the gospel beforehand in order to people to come to Christ uh, in a, through the promise in the same way that we come to it through the fulfillment. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So w- what we're trying to belabor is that Old Testament, New Testament, Jews, Gentiles, Abraham, Cornelius, all of them come to God through one gospel and one Christ into one people. Yeah, and this is, so there's a, Paul is also, he's also clarifying or, or helping us to see the elaborate, intricate, and beautiful coherence of Scripture from beginning to end. Yes. It is astonishing in the way that this all weaves together, Mm -hmm. but it well how it's held together by this one thread that runs throughout every aspect of it. Yes. And when it says Abraham in verse six of Genesis 15, it was counted him righteousness. It was counted for him righteousness. He believed God and it was counted for him righteousness. Yeah. That is, Paul didn't come up with this. The idea that uh, the righteousness of Christ, His faithfulness, His holiness, His His righteousness is imputed to us or placed on our account. That's not a new Paul idea later on in right. the New Testament. Yeah, Paul is he's going back to when the, he says that he's exegeting Genesis yes, fifteen. He's he's literally doing his best to go <laughs> back to the source right. of their entire faith and saying the idea of imputation of righteousness of it being credited to our account that we are righteous. Through faith in Jesus's faith, faith in Jesus' faithfulness, is actually been how faith works all along. Mm-hmm. The the New Testament is very old, is what Paul is trying to say here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so we've kind of we've kind of got that down in the Galatians uh, section. Let's go to Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four, where he does the same he does the same thing, and he does it in a little different way with a little more detail, um, where he quotes. The same verse, and uh, so Genesis. I mean Romans chapter three, 
verse 27 through 31, Paul lays out his argument for justification by faith. Now, the whole section is really laying this out. Um, But let me just start in Romans chapter 3, verse 27 through uh, 31. He says, "Then Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, so that's Paul's big argument, and he's about to use Abraham as the, the test case for how this works. He, he's saying God is one. Salvation is a, it, there's not two ways to salvation. There's not a Jew way and a Gentile way. There's not a circumcised way and an uncircumcised way. There is a unified way in which uh, the law of faith works, mm-hmm. which is apart from works. Mm-hmm. That you've got a, a kind of an antithesis or a, or a tension between law and works that Paul wants you to see. Does that make sense? Yep. And um, uh, he wants to show that uh, faith comes as kind of the way to Christ, whether circumcised or uncircumcised. Okay, so here's where he's going to make his argument about Abraham. He says at the beginning of chapter 4, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Very important there. I want to come back to that second word, that little phrase, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Quote, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Mm. Okay, so Paul is... Basically trying to do some of the same things he did in Galatians for this, uh, this audience in, um, in Romans. And he wants to argue that justification before God is by faith apart from works for all uh, the circumcised or the uncircumcised, Jew or Gentile. And um, again, he's wanting to, to not take this Judaizing interpretation, which is in order to get into the faith of Genesis 15, you have to come through the, the circumcision of Genesis 17. He doesn't want you to read backwards into that, which is the way Jews were doing. Um, so I think uh, Douglas Moog, probably the best commentary in the world on Romans, probably the standard. This is what he writes about what Paul's doing here. He says, For Jewish interpreters often viewed Genesis 15:6 through the lens of Genesis 22, so that Abraham's faith became his obedience to God and was regarded as a work for which God owed Abraham a reward. Paul's interpretation stands squarely against this tradition and is also a more faithful interpretation of the original. Hmm. So again, Paul is trying to really clean up the bad interpretations of the story of Abraham. And you see how crucial this is to getting the gospel uh, right. And um, he wants to do this by showing that Abraham, what do we say about our father Abraham? Did had he, many sons. Well, he did do that. Many sons had father Abraham. He no. did do that. <laughs> what did we say about our father Abraham? That he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Yes. That piece? Yes. Okay, but think about this. 
So remember his audience, who would have thought very highly of Abraham as a picture of obedience. Mm-hmm. Abraham, like, here's the thing. Paul isn't holding Abraham out as like this uh, kind of slum who got in through faith. Right. He's holding him out. as This is like the pinnacle guy. Like, he, he had obedience to almost kill his son. Mm-hmm. Right? So it says in verse 2, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. He's saying that, uh, that Abraham has done a lot of works. Yeah. And in human eyes, he has a lot to boast about. But... Not before God. Right. The end of verse 2 says. Yeah. But not before God. Because justification before God vertically does not come by works of the law. If that makes sense. Yeah, Abraham's like the rest of us in that even if he was the most obedient person in all of history, he's still standing before God has disobedience. Yes. In, in his, on well, his record. Well, it, it makes he, the scandal of justification so much more illuminating when you think, oh, Abraham was actually like, he was one of the best, and yet yeah. his justification didn't come by work. So right. Chris Ostom, old, very old uh, preacher from probably 1,500 years ago, 1,400 years ago, uh, he writes this. I think this captures what Paul is getting at. He says, uh, for a person who had no works, to be justified by faith was nothing unlikely. But for a person richly adorned with good deeds, not to be made just from these, but from faith, this is the thing to cause wonder and to set the power of faith in a strong light. Mm. So he's saying the pinnacle of what works looks like here in our father Abraham was not the way in which he was justified by God. Mm -hmm. And you need to see that. Obedience does not equal justification before God. Right. It is actually the faith that Abraham received as an ungodly person right. that gets him to justification with God. Yeah, and it, so it's also important to recognize that faith in Paul's writing, he is he's clearly saying that faith is not to be considered a work in the sense yeah. that we're talking about. Yes. Right? He's contrasting faith and work. Right. So when it says in verse 5 of Romans 4, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He's just quoted Genesis 15 before that. Mm -hmm. He's describing Abraham there. Mm -hmm. Abraham is the one who God unjustifies because he's ungodly. No no one will probably remember this, but a couple episodes I talked about how in Joshua 24, Joshua describes Abraham. Abram as coming from a pagan family. Right. He was ungodly. Right. Paul's point is, you think of Abraham as this, like, the pinnacle Jew, but he was really an ungodly pagan and had to be justified uh, by God as an ungodly person, just like the Gentiles do today. Yeah, on the same grounds that any of us has to be justified. He wants to make an equivalent between Abraham and the Gentiles, Mm -hmm. which is just so scandalous to the secluding Jews who want to see the Gentiles as something distinct. Yeah, so they, there's this idea that God has chosen Abram. He's elected him from all the peoples on the face yes. of the earth. He's chosen him out, marked him out mm-hmm. to, to enact his purposes in history for redemption and so forth through Abraham and his To birth seed. a distinctive people. Right. And in the end, God is saying at, at, at a certain level, there's nothing actually distinct in, in, in the end about whether you come from Abraham or whether you're a Gentile. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so you, you've you got this down, basically, that when you read Genesis 15, 6, that God counted, 
because he believed uh, him as righteous. That is the same way in which today we as Gentiles, we come to Christ because through faith in Jesus, we are counted righteous on his behalf. Right. So what's going on in Genesis 15 is what's going on with you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul even says in this, uh, in this passage here in Romans 4 that this was written not only for, uh, for uh, Abram's sake, but our sake also. Okay, I think we've kind of exhausted that. Yeah. Um, but so, so important. I, I, this is such a, 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 a big, well, it, there, there's almost too many ways to, in which we could say why is this so important in terms of how this affects different tribes and camps today theologically. Yes. I mean, we could go into a lot of that. But um, I'm, I've, I've just pulled up on my phone a, a, a sermon manuscript from a number of week, months ago. But I, I, this was, I was speaking to this issue in a different context as we were finishing the book of Acts, and, and I think it fleshes some of this out a little bit too in some of the, the ways that I've tried to think through this. So um, I just want to give a couple references here. To, so in John 5, um, Jesus has this exchange with Jewish leaders in Jerusalem in which they were claiming to be upholding Moses mm-hmm. and the law of Moses and everything. And Jesus said that if you really believed Moses, you would believe me, mm-hmm. right? Because he wrote about me. Yeah. So that's part of what Jesus himself says mm-hmm. about this. Um, he said that you, you search the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you'll find eternal life, but you fail to, um, uh, but it's they that bear witness about me and you fail to come to me so that you might have that life, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then in John 8, he has another intense interaction with, um, uh, with, with the, the Jewish leaders and they referred to Abraham in that context as their father, right? Mm-hmm. And they say that that uh, that they are his offspring and that he's their father. To which Jesus replied, "No, no, no! You're actually children of the devil, and uh-huh. you do not have Abraham for your father because they refuse Jesus." Yeah. Um, and, and so he says that you you are opposed to Abraham and mm-hmm. you lie about Abraham and you don't listen to Abraham or believe Abraham. Mm-hmm. You're not children of Abraham. Yeah. Right. And so. Uh, Paul is arguing in Galatians 3, in Romans 4, um, as well as he does in other parts of his writings in the New Testament, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the culmination of true Judaism, mm-hmm. right? That, 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 that redemptive history progresses from this promise of a, a Jewish Messiah, to, uh, you know, um, in the Jewish scriptures for sure, uh, it, it moves to the fulfillment of that promise, as we were talking about in Galatians 3, um, uh, in the arrival of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, yes. which is in our New Testament. And then this new covenant, uh, in the new covenant, God's people are not defined ethnically or culturally or genealogically. They are defined Christologically mm-hmm. through faith, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, true Jews are not those who follow Old Testament law and practices, according to Paul, but rather they are those who follow Christ, mm-hmm. right? They are defined by not a biological birth, but a spiritual birth, mm-hmm. by a circumcision not of the flesh, but a circumcision of the heart, right? Yeah. These are all critical, monumental distinctions yes. that Paul is making in these yes. passages. And it's all related back to, you know, this Genesis 15 text. Yes, yes. And it not only gives us a picture of how we rightly understand ourselves and all believers throughout history mm-hmm. of how we are saved through faith in uh, Christ alone, but it also gives us a picture of, of the just abhorrent view that the, that the gospel has on distinctions within the people of God. Mm-hmm. The whole point of the culmination of the gospel is that through 
one tree, one root, you have multiple branches grafted in as one people. Yeah. You can see the distinct branches, but they're overshadowed by the one root, which is Christ. Yeah, so whether those distinctions are ethnic, as they were between mm-hmm. Jews and Gentiles, whether they be cultural, mm-hmm. political party line, status, mm-hmm. socioeconomic uh, standing, uh, you know, all these different earthly yeah. markers, uh, uh, color, obviously, uh, yeah. uh, we look at age and generation that we're from, and uh, we look at all these earthly markers as things that that divide us, maybe pull us apart or, or elevate or denigrate one person or people over another. And in the gospels, this great equalizer, it's the leveler of this whole playing field to say, no, no, we all stand before God, uh, no matter how religious and moral and righteous you are, whether it be Abraham <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody who, uh, the thief uh, on the cross. Uh, oh, yeah. Or a murderer like Paul was. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he was a, 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 a zealous Jewish leader. But it does not matter these things that when you come to God through the empty hands of faith in Christ, mm-hmm. that 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 grafts us into a shared status. Yes. And we no longer have the ability to look down our nose at others and um, and to define one another in or out on the basis of these superficial earthly. Uh, markings, yes, so to speak. Yes. So bottom line, Abraham and all the Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone by believing the gospel that was preached to them beforehand. Yeah. Through that promise, it was counted them as righteousness if they believed. Right. Um, we want to make that clear. Yeah. Um, okay, let's jump back. Let's finish up Gen- Genesis 15. I know we're barely into it, but we won't spend as much time on all this. Uh, verses 7 through 11, will you read them, James, of Genesis 15? And he said to him, that is, God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Abraham said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I don't know where I'd get a turtle dove or pigeons. Probably find the others, but... Where do you go for that these days? Uh, I don't know. Can you order that on Amazon? <laughs> you probably could. Um, <laughs> Live pigeons delivered to your door? <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. Ugh, funny. Okay, so uh, Abram, God gives him this promise. And here, here, here's the beautiful thing. Right after uh, God says he's countered it to him as righteousness because he's believed, Abraham is still wanting, hey, Lord, I need to, I need. I need, I need some reassurance. <laughs> like again, so again, I, I we don't want you to think that it's this quality of your faith that saves. It's the object of right. your faith that saves. Yeah. It's the righteousness that was imputed to, to him through faith that saves, not the faith that mm-hmm. is what uh, kind of uh, determines his righteousness. Yeah. Um, so he wants this. He want. He's just crying out to God. How is this going to happen? You tell me this is going to happen. Will you give me more information on how this is going to happen? And so God is about to do one of the probably the most incredible things that just blows your mind when you think about um, the the God of the universe and what he's going to do. So he gives Abram these instructions to go get all these animals. Um, 
that eventually will become very important in the sacrificial system. All these right. animals are, are very important in the sacrificial system in Israel later on. But he tells them, he tells Abram to cut them in half, except for the birds. Mm-hmm. And he said, don't do that. I have no clue why he tells him not to do the birds. I try to, I spent too much time on that. I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> uh, I could not find anything fascinating about that. But, um, but so he, he, he has him cut these animals in half. And, uh, and Abram drives the birds away of prey. Again, there's all sorts of speculation what that means. I have no clue what it means. Um, and uh, so here's Abram. He's done all the work. He's got these animals slain into, laying down, kind of like, what in the world is God doing? Like, this is such a weird thing for God to ask him to do uh, at this time, but you'll see why it's important here in a second. So in verses 12 through 16, uh, we get kind of the next portion. It says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with the great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay, so sun goes down, Abram's kind of in this deep sleep, and God comes to him to speak to him again and wants to give him certainty, a certain sign about what he's already said is certain. And then he describes the Exodus, right? which is fascinating to me. He doesn't say, yeah, this is going to happen. He actually describes the details of the suffering that you have to go through in the covenant relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible that God lays out for him, I'm going to cut it straight with you, Abram. You're not going to get this in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Your family's going to have to suffer. There is suffering to get to this glory, um, which is a huge theme in the Scriptures, particularly in the, in, uh, in the covenant relationship with the church. And so uh, you've got this description of, okay, okay, Abram, this is way farther off than, than you can imagine at the moment. There's going to be suffering here for you and your family well after you. But don't worry, I will, I will come through. But you see another purpose here in God's dealings in the world. I think this is important because we always think that there's like one purpose that God has in the world all the time. But God's doing a million things in the world at yeah, you know, a billion things. Yeah. He talks about how one of the reasons why that you, this has to be so patient is because... The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I always think about the... I mean, I get uncomfortable with my own unpleasantness of circumstances when, whenever they are unpleasant, right? But, like, we have such a small view of the world and of history and of what God's doing. Yes. And I, I think of it as, like, we're playing checkers, mm-hmm. and God is playing, like chess on a million levels yeah like all at the same time like we can't even fathom the the ways in which he is operating in so many different ways from so many different angles um bringing so many different storylines together and we're all we can think and see about is our our little our little two feet in front of us our little life our little yeah and and so we just have no idea what the sovereign God mm-hmm. who's enthroned on high, who does whatever he pleases. We have no idea what he's up to. Yeah. 
taking in all kinds of other things to consideration. Um, and so again, this comes back to this posture of faith of going, do we trust mm-hmm. in the promises of God? Do we trust in the character and the goodness of God that what he is doing, though we don't know and can't mm-hmm. see and, 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 you know, can't fully comprehend mm-hmm. that it will be right and good and for our good, excuse me, and for the good of the world and, yes. and so forth. So, yeah. So the Amorites were a wicked, wicked, wicked people that were in the land. And um, it, scripture describes them very wickedly. And then we know from archaeology even more wickedness that is just unbelievably not even worth mentioning on this podcast. And here God says, I'm having patience on them. Mm-hmm. Their iniquity isn't complete. I'm not yeah. wiping them out right now. Yeah. And we're, my people are going to have to suffer because of my patience on the world. Mm. Think about, in, I think it's, it's, it's either First or Second Peter, where Peter basically makes the same argument. Yeah. Why doesn't Christ come back now? He's because of the patience not, God has on the world. Yeah, not willing that all should uh, that yeah that all should perish, but yeah, He's wanting to bring more into the kingdom. It's the patience and kindness of God that leads to repentance. Paul mm-hmm. says. So that's a that's a that that really hits me when I think of God. Why don't you come back right now and end my suffering and the church's suffering and like take me home and bring the new heavens and new earth and not like how and obviously and I'm commanding Scripture to want that and I think it's a good desire. But if I think about it selfishly. It ignores that God is having patience on many unbelievers mm-hmm. for them to come to faith, just like He had patience on me. Right. I'm glad God did not come back in judgment before I was saved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's this, it's this big scope view of what God is doing in the world that mm-hmm. is not self-centered. Yeah. Um, and God is honest with us about that, that we actually have to suffer now to give the world the evil world patience. So our prolong in some sense, our prolonged suffering now within this fallen world is on behalf of the gospel advancing into the hearts and lives of people who are not yet saved but God has yeah. going to bring into his family. Mm-hmm. And so we endure on behalf of our future brothers and sisters. Yes. Um and we and, do so in faith. <laughs> and at the same time, this does not ignore that God will judge what is done wrong in this world, mm-hmm. and He will judge what is done wrong to His people. This yeah. is both this is both a waiting on grace and mercy for people, but also a surety that people will be judged yeah. for what they do. You don't forget that. Right. Um, so it's just this big picture view that I find really, really helpful to think about um, as we think about in the church. Yeah. Okay, so he gives him that kind of sketch of the long game, and uh, and then he gets to what I think is the most fascinating part of the of the whole text, the end here of chapter fifteen. Will you read seventeen through twenty one? When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, "To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates." the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kedomanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. Okay. All very familiar peoples. All very familiar. We actually walked through the history of these peoples and with our youth cohort on Monday night. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> we did. These the exact right, people. So ask the teenage boys. Uh... Yes. Yes. Ask Actually, them. There's probably just a couple of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you've got him come. I mean, God's come to Abram, and he's given him that sketch, and uh, and then he does one final thing in this kind of encounter with Abram. It's when the sun had gone down, and it, remember he's in this dark sleep, he's in this trance. Behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch pass between the pieces. So the background here is so important. In ancient Near Eastern treaties, which were very common, covenants, covenants were very common, a very common idea in, uh, in this time, when two parties of the covenant would uh, come to an agreement on, uh, on what they would do for each other, they would slice animals up like this and pass through them together, showing that if one of them broke uh, the covenant, broke the terms of the covenant, they, they're, they're cursed like these animals. They'll be cut in two like these animals. They, they, blood will be on their hands, mm-hmm. basically. So you've got that. That's really what's going on in this situation. But what's different about this covenant is that the two parties of the covenant, who are Abram, and God, only one of them goes through. Mm-hmm. Only one of them passes through the slain animals. That's God himself. Mm-hmm. The flaming pot and the torches, that represents a, uh, God actually passing through. It's an image of God passing through these animals, saying, this is, a, this is incredible. I mean, it's almost hard to make sense of theologically, but God is saying, I will be so faithful to this, I curse me. Mm-hmm. I, rip me in two. If I don't fulfill this promise, which does not, which he does not include Abraham in, yeah, he says I'm taking on the full the terms full of full responsibility of the covenant fulfillment. Yes, this is God's complete and sheer, uh, unconditional grace in this moment, saying that I am taking on all of the terms of this covenant, and I will take on all of the curses. And so, just to say it more clearly, that is to say that. God's covenant faithfulness did not depend on Abraham. Yes. Right? Yes, in this covenant. Abraham does not... uh, He does not determine whether or not God will be faithful. Like, his faithfulness doesn't determine whether God... Will not destroy the promise. Right. The promise of the covenant, which is seed and land. Right. Abram is not going... God is not going to let Abram have the opportunity to screw that up. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I will take on these curses, which is... It is just amazing that God, after giving him these promises, the word of the Lord came to him. God will condescend, showing him the stars, and then doing this unbelievably theologically confusing thing, which is to say that I, God, will be ripped in half if this doesn't, if this doesn't happen. Yeah. He gives him covenant signs that he can remember and look to and hold on to as pictures of what is true in uh, the word of God itself. Yeah. which is that these promises will come through. So uh, this is a really, like, God takes this so serious. <laughs> yeah. So in, in Jeremiah 34, we actually get another instance of this, where God uh, comes to some Israelites, some leaders in Israel, who they had made a covenant that they were going to free their slaves. And they go back on it. Mm-hmm. They go back on this covenant that they had made, this oath they had made, to, uh, to free these slaves. And listen to what God says about them in, Je- in Jeremiah 34. 
he says, uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me by proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and to his neighbor. Behold, I pray, proclaim to you liberty to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, declares the Lord. I will make you a whore to all the kingdoms of the earth. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. So there was these leaders in Israel who had made a covenant with these slaves basically to release them. And they went back on it. And the way that they made that covenant was passing through animals, just like God did. And God says, that's serious. You break this covenant, I'm going to cut you in half. God puts himself under that same scrutiny here in Genesis 15 yeah. years ago. It's just a, it, it's unbelievable to think that God would be willing to give that picture to us. And not just the picture, but in Christ we have the reality, yes. right? Of God coming and willing to, again, in taking the full responsibility for the covenant that he made to mm-hmm. himself be ripped apart mm-hmm. on, on behalf of our guilt. Yes. In order to yes. atone that there is a penalty for yes. our covenant unfaithfulness. I mean, as Galatians 3, that we were just looking at, the end of Galatians 3 says, he became a curse so that we would be blessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so God... Genesis or Galatians 3, one of the big themes of that whole passage and, and Paul telling us how to read and understand uh, the, from Genesis forward in the Old Testament, he tells us this language that we've been using. He says that, that God, God came to Abraham with a promise, mm-hmm. right? And, and the, 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 the main storyline of the Bible is traveling on this, on this, uh, highway of promise and fulfillment. Like that's the storyline of the Bible Mm -hmm. from here forward. There is this other sort of what he would characterize in in a sense as a temporary sidebar of the law that comes into Israel later and, 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 uh, specific, um, uh, civil law and, and all the different laws that kind of in, in these different aspects of the, yeah. the Mosaic covenant. There's conditions for staying in the land. Right. So all these, that will come later, but the ma- that's, a, that's a sidebar. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the storyline from beginning to end is promise and fulfillment in which God puts himself on the hook mm-hmm. for the fulfillment of the covenant and the, the uh, bringing to completion that, that yes. work. So. Yes. And not to mention that the promise of offspring that we've talked about. Again, mm-hmm. in Galatians 3, we, Paul says the promise of offspring is actually pointing forward, not just to Isaac who will come, but it's pointing forward to Christ who is the, 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 the primary, the, the yes. seed, the offspring yeah. that was promised to Abraham. Yeah. And so kind of to wrap up here, the importance of seeing the covenant signs as ways in which God strengthens our faith, where he condescends mm. and gives us pictures and signs of his faithfulness of the fact that mm, we don't come to uh, to covenant signs, which I would say are baptism and the Lord's Supper. We don't come to those signs to, to double down on our commitment to God. It's actually God coming to communicate that he has doubled down eternally on us. Yeah. Like the response to the gospel is to come and receive it through the signs. Mm. And so our baptism which signifies our, our death, our dying with the curse of Christ and being raised to new life gives us assurance that it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Mm. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. 
And the Lord's Supper gives us a picture of this is my body broken for you. This is, uh, this is literally the sustenance in which I have continually provided to you like manna in the wilderness mm. that cleanses you over and over again. These, these signs are God condescending to our unbelief so that we can double down on faith in Him as He doubles down on His work already done for us. Yeah, so we, it, it's, it's cool. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about where we started all of this, right? And Abraham's struggle for faith from faith. Yes. And that's what it is when we come to the Lord's table every Sunday. 100%. We're coming through faith, mm-hmm. but it's also the means by which our faith is bolstered and, and, and reinforced and, mm-hmm. and, um, and made strong again, right? Yeah. We come with a weakened faith since last Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we come with, with that weakened faith, and our faith is strengthened in the receiving of the bread and the cup. Yes, yes. It is God's continually giving us a sign of what He has done eternally for us. Mm-hmm. That is to strengthen week in and week out encounters with Christ so that we can grow in faith and grow in obedience, as we'll see Abram grow from the strength of this, this faith and its signs. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, I think we, uh, we did it. <laughs> we have exhausted our time for today. Yeah, I don't even know. It's long. Yeah. We're sorry. But I hope it was helpful. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry if you look James up on Twitter. He won't be there, but we're working on it. <laughs> we gone.